Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Gina, you're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Number one, you can never have sex. <laughs> this isn't a discussion. This is the rule of law. Whatever. Those rules aren't real. We, we learned about honesty, that you don't take shortcuts or play by your own set of rules. I could actually run my business and run government at the same time. Because as you know, I have a no-conflict situation because I'm president. You can't sit with us! Some rules weren't meant to be broken. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Look both ways before crossing the street. I before E, except after C. Some rules were born to bend. Don't wear white after Labor Day. Speak only when spoken to. Don't talk religion or politics on a first date. And then there's the 2017 version of rules, where it's unclear if they even exist anymore. And if they do, whether or not they apply to everyone, or just the people who can't afford to break them. Today, we've got stories about a time that it was time to break the rules. In the first one, a young man navigates the space between who he knows he is and who he thinks he's allowed to be. In the second, a kid grows up on a walk around downtown Brooklyn, even though he was supposed to wait for the bus to pick him up. And in the end, we'll hear from a caller who's digging deep for needles of truth in an alternative haystack. Sometimes the truth hurts, and some rules are for fools. But the truth rules in Brooklyn, USA. Brooklyn, y'all feeling good tonight? Here's Muhammad. So I just want to show you some art. You're always wondering, what am I doing in my room? But this is usually what I'm working on. Oh. And you know. I look like you. Oh. <laughs> and you know, different bodies, different hairstyles, mm -hmm. everything. And you know, all my friends are so different. Mm -hmm. and so my name is Mohammed. I'm 25 years old, born in Brooklyn, and I'm an illustrator. Growing up, I always knew I was different. Queer came to me after, well after I identified as gay. I mean, I'm from New York, gay, yeah, and like, you're gonna see every ethnicity, every type of person in the world on a daily basis. When you look at the last five people who texted me, or the people that I'm gonna see this weekend out in the club, like this is the world that I wanna see. The world that I do see, right? Sisterhood and stuff, and things that I, um, I feel a part of, especially someone who's gender non-conforming. Um, the relationship I have with my best friends, who they can be people who identify as men, and people who are men, and I call them my sisters because that's the relationship we have. What is it, Briani? Uh, yes. You made it on Sunday? Uh, yes. So my family's Muslim. We are Muslim Indians, which is always like a little strange for people to hear, but it's actually very common. Islam has played a huge role in my life, um, especially because it's so cultural. It dictates so much of our life, of our culture, of our daily routine. Um, being first generation American, it's been really interesting because we kind of have to teach ourselves everything. Growing up, we never talked about sex, we never talked about anything like taboo. Like the fact that my mom came here, I can't even imagine moving, leaving your entire family 
uh, for another country, like barely speaking any of the language, you're living with your in-laws, to think that like what, what kind of strength it takes for like a woman to go through that and like to carry her three children through that. When I think of like my mother, I think about like all the, just like all the queer people who must have been in my family in the last like going back generations, all the people who had to kind of like silence their, their lives. For me to be here doing what I do um, all off of their sacrifices. And that's like just honoring that ancestry as recent as my mom, as far back as like people I've never, uh, whose names I'll never know. My earliest memory of like knowing that I was gay goes back to like the eighth grade, I think. I think I had a crush on like my math teacher. That's around puberty, so like around 12, 13. I knew that it was wrong. It felt, I knew that it felt wrong, but it also like made a lot of sense to me. I think uh, confronting that kind of like self-hatred of like wanting to smother this thing came with just like teenage rebellion, like 16, 17, realizing that like there's this huge world out there that I'm gonna like thrive in. And that might mean losing something as strong as my faith that's been there since day one um that has carried me through everything knowing that like if i have to lose that for me to kind of feel free that's what that's going to take it didn't it was an overnight moment but i think it was slowly like choosing to not go to friday prayers or choosing to uh, stop fasting for ramadan or choosing to just like finding like acceptance elsewhere and no longer in a place that i always found it in What's the one that's like goat and put, like, oh, put a bones? Nihari, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nihari is good. Yeah. Um, with the, it's messy, but I like it. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> and Papa too, like. My ideas of coming out are, have absolutely been influenced by like Western yeah. culture and Western ideas of coming out. This idea of like having to come out and live your truth and like almost having to choose between these many different aspects of my person. Choosing to come out and leave Islam comes from not understanding that like those two things can exist at the same time, in the same place, in the same body. Like that's that was brand new to me recently. It's always been as part of my identity, but I stopped practicing for a few years because there was no reconciliation between the two for me. It was like you're either gay or you're either Muslim and there's no such thing as a gay Muslim. Also the thought of like it's not just like, oh I'm leaving my religion, it's like I'm leaving my religion to possibly one day burn in hell for this. My friends come over all the time. For a long time, they didn't. I was always so scared, like, oh, my mom's gonna see that these guys are gay or these guys are queer. Like, I'm not ready to have that conversation. But now my friends come over all the time. Um, I, I've had, like, partners over. Um, my parents have met, like, an ex-boyfriend before. But it's always very, like, the context is always kind of switched around. But, I mean, they're smart. They know what's going on. Everyone always say moms know. And I think that's really true. Like, my mom knows. And who knows if she was actually, like, really down for the convo. And I just never had it with her. My parents and I have had some difficult, very brief conversations about being gay. Um, always very, very short and pretty much essentially like if you plan on being gay, you don't belong here or like you can't stay in this house. Um, and being young, unemployed in college and stuff, I was never in a place to 
take them up on that on that on that like bait. I've just never wanted to spell it out for them in a way that would hurt them. I always call it like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Like I hate where that comes from, but it's pretty accurate. Like my parents and I are gonna like respect ourselves in our space and not confront this like really pretty large integral conversation that we should be having. But I know that like as immigrants, as Muslims, they're not really there yet. This I did last I, week. Yeah, it's, it's looking really nice. And the colors, like all the, you know, yes. other countries have those kind yes, of colors. Yes. Yeah. I don't show you a lot, but I'm always working on mm -hmm. things like this. Did you show Papa? Not really. Sometimes. Show anyone, yeah. You'll yeah. be happy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like the design, uh, the, the kurta you made. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, especially up here, right? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. This I got from, you have something like this. Yes, yes. And I just went to your room, I looked yeah. at it, and then I mm -hmm. and then I did it. And like yeah, the ring. Yeah, mashallah, good job. Thank you. A lot of my artwork is about intimacy. I wish I could openly show my parents a piece I made after a really bad breakup, but then like just the layers there, it's too deep to kind of like figure out and um, I do want to show them more of the stuff that's not as like heavy or layered. Um, I just think it's a little, it's hard to like show that and not show the others. That feels a little like I'm hiding and I don't really want to, I'm not interested in doing that. I mean like my mom is my best friend and I am a Scorpio, I'm like super moody and my, my emotions run deep and it's tough. Sometimes I just want to like cry in my mom's arms about like some boy that broke my heart, you know, or like, or tell her about like someone that I'm not feeling and like I just want to go there with her and I can't. I've never not been spiritual. Just this underlying sense of like things that are bigger than you has always been there. And I think that um, coming back into Islam has just been from finding myself like relying on things that I grew up um, relying on. So like I was in New Orleans for a while and you know, being away from home, being away from my friends and family, anytime that I felt any sort of fear, I found myself reciting like a prayer, like a safety prayer. And I don't speak Arabic, but I know the prayer in Arabic. And it's just something that like I had not used in years and was still somehow carrying with me years later. And I think it's really beautiful that like that was the first thing I, I leaned on when I needed it. Growing up, definitely I felt that I've lived two different lives. The older I get, the closer I get to like, uh, like this better version of me that I'm trying to be every day. I find that the intersection of two is like really beautiful. At 25, which is such a like a funny age for this to happen at, but like for it to come full circle like that, for me to kind of like understand like, oh wow, like I've always like believed in God. It's just a different under different words for it. Yeah. It's just hard because it's like really personal. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like I almost I don't I haven't said it in front of anyone in like a long time. Feet in Two Worlds was produced by Sriyanka Ray and featured Mohammed and Seema Fayez. Do children see the world as full of opportunity or full of rules about what they can't do until they're older? Maybe those two things aren't that different. Here's Sasha. So, 
there was a day when I was about eight or nine, and to get from my school in Brooklyn Heights to my home in Fort Greene, I had to take the B-38 bus. And it was a very sunny day, and it was an incredibly cold day. There had been a big snowstorm about a week before, and there was a lot of ice on the ground. And it was freezing, and the streets were incredibly, ridiculously icy. And back then, it took a moment for people to clear the sidewalks. Now everyone's, like, going to file a lawsuit if you don't, you know, clean your sidewalk. And it was around 3, 3.30, whenever, and there was just no bus. And after about 20, 30 minutes, it's obvious that there's not one waiting, there's not one coming. I'm just not seeing anything, and I'm beginning to get really cold and nervous. I mean, nervous not in a terrible, super scared sense, but sort of nervous because this is before cell phones and people start to worry if you don't show up. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal. I've been living first in in Cobble Hill when I was very little, but then in Fort Greene. I know all the places I'm going to walk, so I just start walking. towards the bridges, and then hooked over and walked down Fulton Street uh, through the main shopping area, because I knew it. Somewhere in the middle of all this, I started to cry. I got frustrated, scared. There was something about it that really bothered me. And what bothered me was I felt like I was doing something wrong, not in the sense of endangering myself but you know there was a protocol you got to school on the bus you came home on the bus so I I was maybe mad more than scared or I was just frustrated that order had been disrupted and as I kept walking down Fulton Street or Fulton Lafayette connect and I went down Lafayette and then took a left on South Portland sort of you know cross-country skiing style just sort of shuffling along the ice so I didn't fall down and as we got as I got, sorry, closer to my house, I stopped being upset because everything I had walked through was something I knew. I shopped on Fulton Street. I played in Brooklyn Heights. I played in Fort Greene. These were sort of my two homes. And aside from it being incredibly cold, there was no reason I couldn't do it. And I think my frustration had been at how little I knew about my own options as a kid. And then I felt both vindicated and then a different kind of pissed off when I realized like that actually didn't take that long and I would have done it earlier if I just knew it was okay and that's the idea really about that day was what is okay and what's not okay you know this is like every sort of fable of discovery and empowerment is you know the people in charge give you a a phony line about what's allowed and what's not allowed and then you you know you go and you jump the fence and you write graffiti on the wall, and okay, maybe that's illegal, but you can do it. You don't die or anything. I didn't have to take the bus. I was perfectly safe. Probably I did fall down a few times. Maybe that's why I was crying. But it definitely stuck in my mind because I was embarrassed that I was crying. But when I got home, I felt fairly empowered in a minor kid-like way because however people told me to do a thing there was probably another way to do it and then I guess the other aspect here is anytime you're a kid and you conquer one of your fears you realize that probably other fears you have can be conquered Sasha Farrah Jones was raised in Brooklyn and walks around all the time now 
Caller ID is the part of the show where you tell us what's going on in Brooklyn, on the internet, in the world, and in your life. You can leave us a message by calling 347-504-0801. Here's our first caller. I think one of the biggest issues that bothers me on the day-to-day right now is this craziness about alternative facts, like the idea that there's people who are so readily believing that there's an entire other set of truths that just have no foundation in, you know, like science or math. I mean, I just think it's like this idea that people are so ready to buy into anything that someone tells them, including things that can be proven wrong or they're not factual. They're unfactual. It's not alternative facts. The idea of alternative facts is a laughable concept. It's a made-up term to embody a group of people that just don't like what they're hearing or seeing, which is just antithetical to the way the real world actually operates, and it just doesn't make any sense to me that people even allow that to be a conversation. I feel like the moment someone even uses that terminology, it should be shut down. Like, they're, they're, it just doesn't exist. And I think that when talking about the truth and what is truthful, like, Yes, of course, there can be, you know, varying opinions and perspectives on situations, but I don't know. I just, I feel, I feel so betrayed for myself. I feel very fundamentally grounded in the processes that I have in place that allow me to acknowledge something that's true and something that's false. But I'm fearful of the massive number of people who don't have that kind of system in place. It really throws me into a tizzy of just not understanding how other people think. And the problem we face right now is that there's so many individuals that are fully capable of buying into this other version of things because media, because Facebook. And I think that the problem that that creates is that I don't even believe in the possibility of their truth. And I guess the... the, majority of my peers are feeling very similarly and that's why the conversation is very cyclical and we're all repeating the same truth. I think on some level, to be honest, we're trying to ensure each other that what we know to be true is true, that we're not going crazy and that we have other people in our lives who can commit to that and not let this whole circus, zoo, tornado, apocalyptic hellstorm convince us otherwise. I mean, I've never seen so many people so activated and motivated to do something, and I think it's because our entire system of how we operate is being put into question. It's like we need to feel like we are okay, like our thought process is being pummeled by things that are meant to make us question ourselves and question our beliefs, and we need to be reaffirmed all the time that we are okay. We want to know how you feel, what you're up against or excited about, what gets you out of bed in the morning, and what keeps you up at night. Leave a caller ID at 347-504-0801.
Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias, and our associate producer, Emily Bogosian. The music at the top of the show is by Young Paris and was recorded on one of our other podcasts, B-Side. For more information about this show and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio. Wait. Unlock the phone. Okay, bye.